Good morning, everyone, and welcome to First Things First. I'm Jenna Wolf, alongside Nick Ride, Kevin Wilds. We have Eric Mangini with us on a Friday morning. Lot to get to today. Hey, there's one less team for Cam Newton as his options seem to be dwindling. One more slide on Russell Wilson as the trade rumors out in Seattle pick up. And it is the old versus the new down in Tampa Bay. We will get to that. It is our uh, rewarding performance sponsored by Capital One Venture Card. What is in your wallet? Here we go, guys. Soon to be 43-year-old Tom Brady set to lead the Bucks offense in Tampa. The question is, what will that offense look like? Will it be a Brady-led offense or a Bruce Arians-led offense? Bucks quarterbacks coach Clyde Christensen basically says yes to both. Uh, he says, I think that what we'll see here in Tampa is Bruce's offense with a Brady influence. Bruce wants to keep the offense the same. Tom has been terrific as far as saying, just tell me what you want to do. We're looking forward to seeing how he can influence the offense. He'll make it better. That's what the great ones do. Hey, coach, I'll start with you. Translate this for us. How is this all going to go down in Tampa? Well, I don't think it's going to go as well as it, it could go. This, this should say this is a Brady offense with an Arians influence as opposed to, to the other way around. When you take a guy who, who's done something for 20 years and done it at a very high level and you put him in a new environment, what you want to do is, is make him as comfortable as possible, as quickly as possible. And that means doing the things that he knows, the things that he understands, the things that he has the answers to as opposed to forcing him to learn a bunch of new things and 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 slowing down his thought process. It, it really doesn't make any sense. It happened with Miami when they brought in Dante Culpepper, and you saw the difference with, with Denver when they brought in Peyton Manning and, and, and catered the offense to things he does well. It, you, there's so many things Tom has to learn. It's not that he can't learn it. It's not that he's slow. It's just why not allow him to start as fast as he possibly can and be as effective as he possibly can right away. So coach, I want to throw some numbers at you um, that I was trying to figure out on like, can Tom Brady succeed? The first one is just like the long throws. Jameis did a lot of them and Tom Brady didn't. These are the tr throws traveling 20 plus yards. Jameis was at 111, Brady was 12, 64. So does this, I don't know if this means that Brady's going to be asked to throw twice as many long balls, and he's got another year of wear and tear in his arms if he can even make those throws. Then the other thing I'm really worried about, and I've been worried since day one because Tom Brady is close to my heart, is if Tom Brady is going to stay upright. Like, they're said to are worried about arm strength. I'm less worried about his arm than I am his knees and hips and his shoulders and his back. I just want the guy to be upright. So look at these stats. There's 40... Jameis took 47 sacks. Tom only took 27. Then Jameis is like, I'm out of here. Just scrambles for positive yards was 31. And Tom Brady's like, eh, I'm not doing that. I'm just only, I've only run three times. And then interceptions 30. And I know the media likes to portray like Jameis just throwing the ball all over the place. But maybe some of those weren't his fault. We look at it like whereas 14 Jameis interceptions were when he was pressured. So basically these stats are very different from Tom Brady's stats. And is this, I don't know what I'm trying to ask you, is Jameis all at fault for his terrible statistics or does Arians take some of the blame for that? Yeah, statistics are, ha have to be shared between the, the coaches and the players that everybody is, is responsible for. You know, some can, can be more responsible 
than others. But the, the, the genius and the success of, of Tom Brady in that system is you throw to the open player. And it doesn't matter whether he's a star. It doesn't matter uh, how much he makes. It doesn't matter whether, you know, what your stats are. You just throw to the open guy. So if that means that you throw 10 hitches, which are little six yard stop routes, then you throw 10 hitches. That's, that's why the offense works. And that's why it, it keeps rolling. And it's another reason why you stay upright because it allows you to avoid pressure. It allows you to get quick decisions. If you're, if you're forcing things, if you're trying to, to generate things that aren't there, that's when you get hit a lot. That's when you throw interceptions and, and that's when you make mistakes that you don't have to make. There's, he does things well, and, and you should allow him to do those things as much as he wants to. All right, Nick, so let's stick with that. In Aaron's offense with a Brady influence, and I guess this all depends on how much of an influence Brady is going to have. What is your reaction to all of this? I understand why people's gut reaction would be, well, this is what they should do. You have a group of players, a couple dozen players who've been doing things one way, and you want to change as little as possible for them. You have a coach who's been doing things one way. You have then the new quarterback who also doubles as one of the smartest players in the history of the NFL, so you feel like it's easier for him to adapt than Chris Godwin or Mike Evans or O.J. Howard, whomever else, because Brady can consume more information and you have this lack of an offseason where you're not going to be able to make whole, wholesale changes to the offense, so you ask Tom Brady to be the person that changes more. I get in theory why that's what you would want to do, but in practicality, I think it is a terrible idea. If they ask Tom Brady, to do what Jameis Winston did just with fewer interceptions and more effectiveness, he won't make it to year two of this contract. He's 43 years old, but he's not a wizard. He's not The idea that he can't get beaten up, that he can't get knocked out of the game, if you ask him to take five and seven step drops, stare in the face of pressure, like Bruce Arians asked Carson Palmer to do in Arizona, and get the snot beat out of him, then 2020 will be his only year with the Tampa Bay Bucks, And I know folks want to use the Christensen also brought up the Peyton Manning, you know, uh, second act of his career in Denver. And he talked about it. And I can read that quote to you. I, I think it's foolhardy for a few reasons. But the, when he talks about Peyton Manning, he says, you think back to what Peyton had in Denver, goes out, sets the NFL record for touchdown passes, reaches two Super Bowls, wins one. I think that's very attractive to Tom. Peyton had fun at his second stop. He was able to turn that place around. I think Tom's excited about what he can do with Godwin and Evans. Here's the problem in that analogy. Peyton Manning, when he got to Denver, not only was he not 43 years old, when Peyton Manning got to Denver, he was Aaron Rodgers' age right now. Think of If Aaron Rodgers just got to, to Tampa, you'd say, oh, yeah, do exactly what at 36 years old we asked Jameis Winston to just be better. Tom is seven years older than Peyton was when Peyton got to Denver. So just saying that he's going to have duplicable success or similar success, I think that's, I think that's unrealistic. And I agree with Wilds wholeheartedly that the biggest concern for Tom is going to be the ability to not get beat up 
And when Coach talks about those quick hitters, those quick hitches, you do look at this Bucks offense that has all these weapons. What they don't have is an Edelman. I know they brought in Gronk, but Gronk was out of football last year. And the year before that, when he played, he was 54th in the NFL in yards and 95th in touchdowns. Was not a great force multiplier for that Patriot team until the playoff run. So this is why I have them going 8-8, eight eight, Jenna. This is why I don't buy into the Bucks Super Bowl hype. I don't know if the fit is there if you're asking Tom to run a Bruce Arians offense at age 43. Then, Coach, let me ask you something else. One of the other things Christensen did say is that the idea that, that, that Brady has stellar arm strength, but he was held back in New England because he didn't have the, the same receiving core that he's going to have in Tampa is definitely an interesting one. So you have to wonder exactly what this balance is going to be. Is it going to be like what Nick said, what's best for this team and the pieces, or it's going to be what's best for Brady, keeping him healthy, what that balance is going to look like, Coach? There's a couple of things. Just just to go back to, to Nick and talking about the analogy that they're making to Peyton Manning. The other part of that analogy that's flawed is Peyton looked for a team where he could do the things that he did in in Indianapolis and did so well. And that was that was part of the the agreement. And and that's why he was uh, as successful as he was. And and look in in New York, I had Brett Favre when he when he left Green Bay and and Brett was open to running the things that, that we had been running and, and understood the dynamic of, of his learning versus the rest of the group's learning. But as a group, as a staff, we decided and, and we committed to making him as effective as possible. And that meant putting in the things that he was most comfortable with and he had the answers to. And and that's what's going to happen in, in Tampa Bay. You can talk about he didn't have the weapons in New England. In New England, know what they did? They threw to the open guy. They did what was best to beat the team they were playing. It wasn't about numbers. It wasn't about we need to throw this many deep balls. That's that. That's not the philosophy. You've got a guy who's an older guy who's not a mobile guy, and you want to make sure that when pressure comes, he knows where to go with the ball, that he's not standing back there and taking unnecessary hits that you're able to protect the middle of the pocket like New England did year after year so he's able to step up. If you don't do those things, then you know load up your, your backup quarterback because he's going to be in pretty quickly. Well, and that's why of all the numbers Wild showed, the one that I thought was most interesting was scrambles. That Jameis just said, you know what, duck and run 31 times last year, twice a game. Brady did it three times all season. I remember one of them vividly. One of them came on a key play in the fourth quarter against the Kansas City Chiefs, and then he did a very emphatic first down, and it was all great, and then they threw an incompletion to lose the game at the end. But you you can count on less than one (laughs) hand how many times Tom (laughs) ran last year. That is a factor when you're talking about what the Bucs are going to be able to do, and I I think they need – that slot receiver that they currently don't have. Last year it was Brashad Perriman, and he's gone now. So, like, that is one little hole on the offense. And I just think asking Tom Brady to be a seven-step drop, to, you know, take hits to the, you know, in the middle of his chest and hang in the pocket at 43 years old is unfair to him. And I don't know if it's a tenable long-term situation. 
A healthy lifestyle should be easy, right? Eat veggies, drink green smoothies, exercise, get your heart rate up, and do yoga to bring your heart rate back down. Well, maybe not so easy, but there is something that helps improve everything, and you can literally do it with your eyes closed. It's sleep. Sleep Number knows what it takes to sleep your best. The Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed lets you choose your ideal firmness, comfort, and support on each side, your Sleep Number setting. It's the perfect solution for couples. These beds are so smart, they respond to your every move and automatically adjust to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now... For a limited time during the Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the new Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed, a queen, now only $17.99. You'll only find Sleep Number at Sleep Number stores or by visiting www.sleepnumber.com. here first things first hey still to come nascar points leader yes. kevin harvick stops by we got some live racing coming up this weekend we'll see how he plans to attack darlington's too tough to tame track that's next on first things first but right now right now guys we're playing mangini's second favorite game drawing a blank <laughs> yahtzee coming in at number one for coach uh all right here we go <laughs> Uh, USA Today put out their NFL Surprise. record projections, including a Super Bowl matchup, giving Drew Brees and the Saints the edge over Lamar and the Ravens down in Tampa. Nick, my friend, USA Today predicting the Saints will win Super Bowl 55 over Baltimore is blank. The rarely seen triple wrong prediction. They are wrong about the fact that the Saints wow. will make the Super Bowl. They will not. They are wrong about the fact that the Ravens will make the Super Bowl. They will not. They are also wrong about this. If it is Saints-Ravens, they've got the winner wrong. Because if it is Saints-Ravens, what does that mean? That means Lamar has conquered some of his playoff demons en route to getting to the Super Bowl. In which case, if this game were to happen, the Ravens would be the team to win it. So triply wrong, you got both teams wrong, and if I'm wrong and you got both teams triply. right, you got the result wrong, it's a triple wrong prediction, Coach. Yeah, to, to, yeah, to me, this is over, this is over too. Nobody's had more heartbreak than the Saints. Kansas City's going to learn that it's, it's really hard to repeat, and if these two guys oh, or two teams play in the Super Bowl, then it's going to be the passer over the runner, and, and uh, at the end of the day, that, that almost always prevails. Well, Jenna, I went with a, a pro robot. It's been a, a big turn of the tides for the K-Man recently. I'm very anti-robot. I'm anti the singularity. I'm anti living in a pod and having my life controlled by mechanical beasts. But all of a sudden, the Madden checkdown simulation has got me pro robot. All of a sudden, I'm very pro robot. Week four. Look at this. Tua beats the Seahawks. So all of a sudden, I'm pro-robot, so and I'm anti-human. So the only predictions I'm listening to are robotic, robotic predictions. Congratulations to a week four. Unfortunately, Nick, the robots have uh, the Patriots losing to the Chiefs in week four. It's kind of brutal, but again, I'm pro-robot. That's just the way it goes. Okay. I know that's fake because I I know TV, but but God, it gets me excited. Look at that. 
moving great. on. Hey, guess what Patrick Mahomes and Nick I Wright have TV. in common? That's a, hey, America. Jen, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. <laughs> America, you have to be a seasoned TV pro to know that was fake. I am. That wasn't so actually real Russell Wilson you. running with an X underneath so. his feet somehow. You, I was I getting people excited so I know for that's fake. <laughs> you know what? Pipe down up there, Brady Bunch in the top left. Let's move on. Guess what Patrick Mahomes and Nick Wright both have in common? Both were left off Pro Football Focus's list of top 101 players of the 2010s decade. And while Nick is just a regular, plain old vanilla guy, Mahomes is a regular season and Super Bowl MVP. So Nick, Mahomes being left off that list is blank. Just a regular, plain... Normal Plain old vanilla, vanilla guy. guy. <laughs> Look how fired How's up he that is. Even me. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna try to calm myself here. I'm gonna get my earpiece fixed. I'm gonna take a deep breath. Yeah. Go. The idea that Patrick Mahomes was not one of the 101 best football players this decade, and I don't want to be hyperbolic. It is an indefensible abomination. The, there are three human beings who won a regular season and a Super Bowl MVP this decade. Tom Brady, who's number one, Aaron Rodgers, who's in the top ten, and Patrick Mahomes, who they can't find a spot for on the list. Hey, you know who did make the list? Jordan Gross, a tackle who retired in 2013. He hadn't played the last seven years of the decade. He played tackle for the Panthers. He comes in at 73. Jalen Ramsey, who came into the league one year before Patrick Mahomes, he makes the list. Patrick Mahomes doesn't make the list. Get the hell out of here, Pro Football Focus. It's an outrage. I, I, You know what? I'm going to, during your guys' answers, I'm going to make the accurate list. I don't know if I'll be able to go through 101 total, but come back to me before the end of this, and I'll have an accurate <laughs> list, and we'll see where Patrick Mahomes ranks. Go ahead, coach. So stupid. Yeah, look, I, I think this is I think this is silly as well. And and the irony here is Nick loves quoting Pro Football Focus whenever it suits his needs, and and they're the authority to, to justify any argument that Nick has. Like, well, Pro Football Focus says this, and so now you see that that sometimes those those things can be wrong, and and you have to be able to take a step back and look at things objectively as much as you want to. As much as you want to, you know, compartmentalize, you know, I'm I'm pro robot as well, and and Madden did a simulation, and and Mahomes was on the list, so so that's positive too. Um, but I just think I think it comes down to what he's done in two years is better than what a lot of people will do in the course of his career, and and it passes the eye test, and and he is an incredible force multiplier. So even though it's a, a small sample. What he's done has been impressive, and, and I agree with you, Nick. He should be on the list, and it's silly that he's not. Okay, Jenna, I was, uh, what did I go with? I went with 10% Patriots, but before we get to that, I have to say that I'm happy it's Friday, and we ended the week with a force multiplier quote from Coach. That's four consecutive weeks. It's my favorite phrase going. It's a force multiplier. 10% uh, Patriots on this list. It, they're not necessarily like the greatest Patriots of all time. We got Brady and Gronk, but then we also have some guys that just kind of touch the jersey. Darrell Revis, sure, I, I, I like him. 
AB played a game or two. Yeah, fine. Well, I guess he's a Patriot. Oh Michael Bennett, Stephen Gilmore, a real Patriot. Chandler Jones, a keep to leave. So I feel good about the list, Nick. 10% Patriots are guys that at least put on the jersey or right. wore a hat for a day. They're going to give Revis okay, to see the how Patriots. many Patriots made the... Yeah, he's yeah. going to give Revis to the, the Patriots. It's an outrage. 2014. It's, it's, yeah, just like Antonio Brown. Okay, Great hold Patriot. on. Do you want the actual list? Uh, this is the, these are the, the full list of people who le- deserve to be ahead of Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady one, Aaron Rodgers two, JJ Watt three, Drew Brees four, Aaron Donald five, Russell Wilson six, Peyton Manning seven, Richard Sherman eight, Rob Gronkowski nine, Von Miller ten, Julio Jones eleven, Antonio Brown twelve. Patrick Mahomes, 13. There it is. I'm making sure I didn't leave anyone out. Patrick Mahomes, the 13th greatest player of the decade. That's it. Earl Thomas would have been 14 for those interested. There's a few people fighting for 15th. I didn't have time to fully compile it while coaching you were talking. But there it is. Patrick Mahomes, the 13th best player of the decade. He will be the best player of the 2020s, probably the 22nd best player of the 2030s, because it'll be the tail end of his career. There you go. 2030s? Stupid. 2030s list. Yeah. Uh, Let's move on. Uh, Please. NFL.com released their top dark horse MVP candidates for this season. Top dark horse candidates here, MVP candidates. So top of the list is Buffalo Bills third-year quarterback Josh Allen. Hey, when the theme in your city is there's always next year, you can understand why this is very welcome news up in Buffalo. But, Nick, let me see you get fired up again, my friend. Josh Allen being the number one dark horse MVP candidate is blank. Well, listen, hey, I want to give a ton of credit to Adam Shine, who came up with this list. Speaking of lists, Adam Shine, the third best talk show host on Sirius XM, Mad Dog Sports Radio. Number one is Mad Dog. Number two is me. Number three is Shine. But in regards to this, uh, this is Trubisky-esque. Hey, remember last year, Mitch Trubisky, when it was, oh, my God, nobody's got more tickets on MVP than Mitch Trubisky. 200 to one. And it was dude, people were buying the tickets. And then... Four weeks into the season, those tickets were lit on fire because they were worthless. I understand we've had consecutive years of a huge underdog winning MVP. Mahomes was 100 to 1. Lamar was 100 to 1. So now people think Josh Allen can be the next guy. He can't be the next guy. He can be the next Trubisky, someone people bet on to win MVP. And by a quarter poll of the season, they realize that bet is foolish. So Trubisky, yes, coach. Yeah, to, to me, this, this is optimistic. And, and, what I do like is he's got Brian Dayball, and I know that Nick loves when I talk about coaches actually having an impact on players. But Brian Dayball, the offensive coordinator, has done a great job with him, and he's improved significantly since his, his rookie year, and you like to see that trend. I just don't know how much more upside there is for him. And and even though they've they've also improved the weapons, he's going to have to take a significant, a significant leap and a consistent leap. I, I like the things he's done in the fourth quarter. I, the, there's a lot to like about his work ethic. I, I, I think Derek Carr is probably a better bet than than um, Josh oh. Allen at this point. Coach likes the Raiders this year. Wow, that's pretty good. Coach loves the Raiders and the Falcons. Get in on it, America. Also get in on this one. You know, you're looking at second year quarterbacks, Dark horses, you know what time it is. Whose music is that, Nick? Oh, Jared no. the Javelin oh, is at 66 to 1. No. <laughs> He's a dark horse. No. Jared the Javelin, 66 to 1.
There he is. Look at him. There's not a horse. There's not a horse darker, Wilds. I can't deal with this. Look at him. needs to be changed. I don't know why. It's really Chaplin through Belichick's temple at this. No, it's just a throw laser means. Let's move on to Russell Wilson. It doesn't work alliterative-wise. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, on to Russ now. It's Rumors were swirling earlier this week of a possible Russ to the Browns trade back in 2018. Now Mike Florio is saying that some believe it's just a matter of time before the Seahawks actually do trade their Super Bowl champion quarterback. Nick, the Seahawks eventually trading Russell Wilson would be blank. I'm going to call this Florio Flotsam. So Mike Florio is the one floating this. Flotsam is the things that come up to the top of the sea after a shipwreck. So here's what happened. Chris Sims, and by the way, Florio's my guy again. We reconciled, so this is not a knock on my friend Mike Florio. Chris Sims reported they talked about this. That was the shipwreck. Now what's floated to the top is Florio pushing that story forward, discussing about whether or not it could happen in the future. They're never trading Russell Wilson. He literally has a no-trade clause. It can't happen. So I call this Florio Flotsam, coach. Yeah, do you have one of those word of the day calendars you've thrown out flotsam? I, I, I'm, I'm very no, I'm just incredibly I'm very, smart. I am very impressed by this. To me, that this is this is practical, and and when you look at it, practical. the reason he has the reason he has a no trade clause is because he was obviously worried that he could be traded within the course of of this contract. Guys at thirty five million dollars, and and one of the things that is a a hallmark of his game is his ability to scramble, his ability to move around and and different than Tom Brady, who, who doesn't have to rely on that, he does. And and as you get older, it becomes harder and harder to do that on a consistent basis. And and with Pete Carroll, he's he's willing to take some chances that other organizations are. So practical in the sense that it it, it gets the big number off the books gives you a chance to, to be good for for a long time if you make the right decision. Uh, um, speaking of the ability to scramble and move around in the pocket, Jenna, did you see Nick's mid-answer hair adjustment? Very rare. Did not break stride. It was perfect. I was Boom, put it, it right back what and kept jerk. the point going. It was fantastic. Jerk. Nick, I also have a <laughs> sea-based analogy. I'm going uh, uh, solo solo sailing to Hawaii. Every once in a while, the YouTube algorithm delivers this to me. And I said, wow, maybe someday I will solo sail a sailboat to Hawaii. I might do it, and it would also be very, very dumb. So that's how I viewed this story. <laughs> you might do it, it might be very wow. dumb. Wow, right. your, hair, your hair looked like flotsam. <laughs> well, it's true, I might do it, but it's flotsam. flotsam. Plenty of hair looks like flotsam. flotsam. It's like wreckage from a, from a, from a ship. That's not That's my sailboat. We got to take a break. NASCAR is back, and we need your help to show the world what racing means to us. Here's how you can take part in 100,000 cameras, the return of NASCAR. Watch the NASCAR Cup Series race this Sunday from Darlington at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox. Record your race day experience from sunrise to checkered flag. Upload the photos and videos to your social media accounts using the hashtag 100KCams. Then tune in to FS1 Sunday, May 24th at 3 p.m. Eastern to see if your footage makes the cut. While we're apart off the track, we can still be a part of something special together. 
And remember, do just that. Record your personal Darlington race day experience. Upload the video to hashtag 100K cams. Then tune into FS1 Sunday, May 24th, 3 p.m. Eastern to see the show and to see if you made the cut. And speaking of Darlington, NASCAR returns in just two days. The historic green flag. The return of NASCAR is back Sunday, 3.30 Eastern, 12.30 Pacific. And look who's joining us now. Points leader Kevin Harvick. Kevin, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. It is great to have you here. It is great to have racing back. I think we're all looking forward to it this weekend. If people don't know, NASCAR actually has one of the shortest off seasons. Uh, that plus this COVID break has sort of doubled that time. I have to ask, how you been keeping busy? How you, how you staying busy during quarantine? Yeah, well, I've got a, a two-year-old and a seven-year-old, so it's been uh, pretty crazy around the house and, and trying to keep everybody busy, uh, keep up with, with myself and, and all the things that we've been trying to do uh, throughout the break with our sponsors. And, um, you know, social media has changed because that's, that's really the, the, the point of contact that you, that you have with everybody doing um, Zoom calls and Skype calls and, and all the things that, that um, you know, that we've been trying to um, do on this side of the world. So it's been it's been very busy. A lot, a lot has changed in the world. And, and for us, we're excited to get back to the racetrack this weekend and, and really uh, do what we do. And that's that's drive drive cars around a racetrack and, and finally bring some live sports back to, um, you know, to everybody to watch on the television. Kevin, pre quarantine, pre covid, you know, disruption, there were to me two overwhelming stories from the first few races of the NASCAR season. One was Joey Logano, who has won two of the four races, and the other was you, the only driver to have top ten finishes, I believe, in all four races, which is why you're at the top of the point standings just barely ahead of Joey. What, what had been the key to your early season success, and how much do you think, if at all, the break disrupts that? Well, the, the break definitely disrupts that because the way that we're going to go back racing is going to be much different than, than what we did before with no practice, <clears throat> no qualifying. Uh, you have to do a lot of uh, planning before the race. And, and so uh, different racetracks that we're going to than, than what we had planned on going to. So there's a lot of things that are different with less people at the racetrack and, and how things function. But, you know, I think for, for us, you know, this is our seventh year together as a team. Um, you know, our, our, our Bush Light uh, Ford uh, and Stuart Haas Racing have done a great job of, of really building that chemistry through the years. So our communication is is going to be key in this just because of the fact that you're going to have to make a lot of different adjustments on your car and be ready for things uh, that, that you didn't expect because things are going to go wrong. Things are going to be different. So you're going to have to you're going to have to really communicate with each other. So it's 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 going to be a situation to where experience, in my opinion, is going to be key. There, there are going to be weekends where things are just not going to go well, and you're going to have to deal with them and try to make something out of the weekend. And I think that's what made the beginning of our season good is, you know, we were consistent. Uh, we led laps. We ran up front and, you know, got solid finishes out of the beginning of the year. Kevin, this race on Sunday feels like a unique opportunity for NASCAR because, of course, you've got the NASCAR fans who are very excited but you guys are also on the live sports stage all by yourself. There's no baseball. There's no basketball. It's just you guys. Do you? How do you view this opportunity to bring more people to the sport or just being on the stage with NASCAR being all the focus of the live sports world? Well, I've learned a lot about iRacing, and I'm really excited that I get to go out of my garage this weekend and drive to the racetrack and not sit in the simulator <laughs> with my seven-year-old pounding me on the shoulder asking me where I'm running. So... 
You know, I think that there's a there's a huge responsibility for us this weekend just because of the fact that, you know, we, we are the your first really big sport to uh, to put, you know, a fair amount of people in, in one spot and, and try to put on an event. And, and I think as, as you look at that, we also have a great opportunity to expose our sport to people who haven't uh, necessarily watched NASCAR in the in the last, um, you know, several years or maybe never. And, and really, that's what we experienced when we started uh, you know, airing these iRacing events on television. Immediately, we had, you know, 250,000 fans that, that had never even watched a NASCAR race, but were on the iRacing platform. This is a very similar, similar situation to that, but in a much, much bigger, um, you know, fashion than, than what, we, what we had with the iRacing stuff. So it's a great opportunity for our sport, a lot of responsibility for our sport to, to do what we're doing this weekend, and, and I think it's something that everybody's ready for. Kevin, you talked about the adjustment that you guys are going to have to make after being out of racing now for, what, eight weeks or thereabouts, the tracks, no, no you know, pre-racing, no qualifying, no, no fans in the stand. You won Darlington back in 2014. How much of that experience can you take with you, and is it going to be enough heading into this weekend? Well, Darlington's a very unique racetrack. It's got a, you know, a very long history in our sport and, and means a lot to our sport. And I think for all the competitors, I think that the, the part of being in the race car and, and everybody at the racetrack will come back uh, fairly quick. You know, I think that the, the unknown in all of this is, you know, it's been a long time since we've raced in the middle of the day at Darlington itself. It's a very uh, finicky racetrack when it comes to temperature. Uh, temperature makes a big difference in, in how the cars drive. It's going to be a, a really hot weekend this weekend. So, you know, the, the car is just not going to feel good. And, you know, being in the car um, and then being out of the car for eight weeks is is something that your body will definitely have to adjust to. You have to take care of yourself because we're going to run, you know, eight, seven or eight races over the next few weeks here. So it's it's going to be, you know, a different situation that, that you definitely are going to, to have to, um, stay hydrated. I mean, hydration is, is the biggest thing for us because inside the car, it's probably going to be, you know, 120, 125 degrees and you're going to sit in there for almost four hours. So it's, um, it's definitely, definitely a situation to where, um, you know, being out of the car and being into the car definitely takes a, you know, a toll on you because you, you just aren't used to that heat. Usually we have heat training and things that, that go along with, uh, the exercise and things that you do during the week to get used to that heat. But this weekend, you're just going to jump right in and, and you're going to have to, you're going to have to suck it up a little bit and, and, um, you know, pay attention to what you're doing and stay focused because the, you're not used to that heat. Kevin, you, you led perfectly into my question, which is, I, I think for people that don't follow the sport, they underestimate the level of different type, but the level of athleticism one needs to have be a NASCAR driver as far as endurance, as far as cardiovascular training, things like that that you guys are able to do to withstand four, five, at times six hours in the car you're talking about in the heat. We now obviously have all been in a world where you can't do your regular training. You're also in a world where you can't do the regular preparation for a race. And I think from Sunday, you have four races, NASCAR does, in the following 11 days. So what type of gauntlet are the drivers, you know, about to go into? And for you, how much concern as far as what your body is prepared to handle after an unprecedented layoff? Well, you know, I think for, for me, I've been trying to keep up with it. And, and, you know, a lot of that is, is you know, trying to, you know, target uh, my heart rate, you know, as to what it is in the car. So, 
you know, for, for me, you know, the heart rate is going to be somewhere, it's going to average somewhere between 135 to 145. It just depends on how many cautions that you have during the race and how hot it is outside. So it's definitely, definitely something to where, you know, I feel like I have a good idea of where I need to, you know, to, to train at. And, and, you know, I think that the biggest thing is you're going to be sore, uh, after the, after the first race, your, your shoulders and neck and, and things are going to be sore because they just haven't been tucked into those seat belts so tight, you know, for, for three or four hours, uh, in, in a few weeks. And I think once you, once we get through the first couple races, I think a lot of that'll, you know, kind of subside. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's definitely something that you have to have to keep up with on the hydration side. That's, that's really the, the main thing that you, that you have to keep up with right now, because the first race is hot. I see the second race. It looks like the weather is going to be much cooler. And, and, you know, the third race is 600 miles. So, uh, at Charlotte. So that's, that's definitely something that, that, um, you know, I think all of us will do in different ways. Uh, for, for me, I, you know, I feel like I have a, a, a good system of, of, how I keep up with it, and, and everybody's got a little different method. Kevin, just so you know, my mom's heart rate is also 145 when I'm driving, so I totally understand <laughs> what you're saying, but no. All right, let's take a slight left turn, pun fully intended. I want to I ask you a couple of, uh, of quick hitters that I'm very curious about. Here we go. Number one, which rule of the road for you is most, uh, is probably the hardest for you to abide by? I don't have I don't have many problems following the rules, but I hate tailgaters. I want to brake check you instantly. I would love to just one day just brake check somebody and put their hood right in the windshield. Perfectly legal, I'm sure. Uh, uh, have you ever had to change your own tire? And if so, how fast can you do it? Oh, I did have to change my own tire. We're on our way back from Washington State from a race, and the tire blew out about four in the morning. And it was my uh, my friend and I because my dad used to make us drive. It's been a long time, um, but yeah, I have had to do that before, and, and it took it probably took a good hour. Just to make Whoa. it feel like Sunday, do you just run around real fast and change things as quickly as possible, just to get the feel back? Probably not. You know, All right, honest, last question. Honest, Here we go, Kevin. True or false? Go ahead. Honestly, honestly, every time we get a new vehicle. We, we take everything out of the back of the car to make sure that we understand how to change the tire because it has become increasingly difficult to actually change a tire on a street car uh, with all the gadgets that they have in the trunk. That's so true. if you haven't done that, I just want to pull it out one day because it's not easy. Uh, I mean, hello, AAA. Uh, all right, last question. True or false, Days of Thunder, greatest racing movie ever made. It's true, but I'll let you decide. Yeah, it, it was a great movie, but I would say that my favorite racing movie is probably Six Pack with Kenny Rogers. Most people probably have never seen that movie, but nice. it's, it's probably probably my favorite racing movie. I'll give it to you. I'd like six cold trickle lines, but if that's your movie, that's your movie. <laughs> Kevin Harvick, thank you so much for playing, for hanging out with us. We wish you all the best of luck this weekend. Can't wait to talk to you, see how it all goes. We'll be tuned in. Uh, this weekend, only on Fox, 3.30 Eastern on Sunday, the return of NASCAR. Kevin, thanks. we got to take a break. Much more First Things First right after this. Welcome back. Oh, there's a familiar face. Texas nice. three-time defensive player of the year, J.J. Watt, will be here Monday morning on First Things First. All right, time for some stories to start your morning. Shocked that Pepper didn't put him in a Badger's jersey. Hmm. 
So uh, many wondered if the Seahawks would go after free agent Cam Newton to play the role of Russell Wilson's backup. But instead, Seattle got the next best thing, re-signing Geno Smith for the 2020 season. Nick, good thing or bad thing for Cam's future that Seattle re-signed Geno Smith? Irrelevant thing. He was never going to Seattle. Seattle would be the worst possible hmm. spot for Cam Newton. They have the second best quarterback in football, and he never gets hurt. This a of he, he, literally 31 other teams would be better spots for Cam. You guys know I think he should go to New England. Coach says he's not a fit. So instead of New England, how about Tampa? Do we really think Brady's going to make it through the whole season? Now that we've heard from the offensive quarter, the quarterback's coach down there, it's going to be seven-step dropping and chucking it downfield. Tampa's open. Jacksonville, Pittsburgh all make more sense. But Wilds, the Geno Smith signing for me is a Cam Newton story. For you, your your guy, Ant, what is he, his name? Anthony, Anthony Aaron Gordon. Gordon. Is this bad for your guy, Aaron, Aaron, Gordon, yeah, Aaron, Aaron Gordon, Gordon? Which is like, yeah, Aaron Gordon. First of all, I, I learned the power of Seahawks Twitter because I was like, hey, I like this guy, Anthony Gordon. I watched some clips on YouTube. And they were like, yes, you're one of us. I got indoctrinated to Seahawks Twitter. It's very powerful. I'm a big <laughs> Anthony Aaron Gordon guy. So maybe Anthony Aaron Gordon gets a chance to you know, not have the pressure of having to step in. He can still watch a little bit. But I'm telling you, Coach, air raid offense, Mike Leach, let him air it out. Give him the preseason. I'm watching. Whatever we got, I get a chance to watch Anthony Air Gordon. I'm all about it. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, look, with, with your backup, you want him to be confident and, and quiet. And, and Cam right now, we don't know where he is in terms of competency coming off the injury. And we know that it's it's not going to be quiet. It's going to be a huge distraction wherever he goes. And a place like Seattle doesn't want that. All right, let's move on. Talk some boxing where legendary promoter Bob Arum is the latest to weigh in on Mike Tyson's return, saying he'd back a charity fight between Tyson and the two-time heavyweight world champ Tyson Fury. Tyson versus Tyson. It's got a ring to it. Ring is a boxing term. Coach, you coming over to watch pay-per-view with me for this? My couches are six feet apart. <laughs> I would I would definitely watch this fight, uh, although I wouldn't watch it with any with optimism that it would be a good fight. It'd be a little bit like watching something that you can't turn away from. It's been 15 years since, since Tyson fought, and even when he was fighting at the end, he wasn't really fighting. He was just sort of surviving in the ring. Uh... The video looks great. Tyson looks great. But I think he, he needs to, to move on to, to something else. Nick, I'm in a tough spot here because I value expertise and I also follow my heart. Now, the experts, boxing experts are saying it's never going to be a real fight. It just has to be an exhibition. It has to be big gloves. It's got to be headgear, which I'm not super into. But then my heart, Nick, my heart just wants to see Tyson back in the ring. He's only 53. George Foreman lost the belt when he was 48. And by the way, he didn't lose the belt. It was just a bad decision. So I still want to see this, but I've got an internal conflict that I can't quite solve. Well, listen, let me try to let me try to help your heart move over to your head or maybe vice Thank versa. You. I got to figure that out. But because I also want to see this, you've convinced me that this is a real thing that can happen. You mentioned George Foreman. Here's the long list of guys around Tyson's age who fought competitively. George Foreman did it as a champion. 
What about Rocky Balboa? You ever see Rocky Six? He'd been retired forever. He came back and was at least competitive. That's two Rocky's of the greatest not, fighters of the last 50 real. years. Foreman and Balboa. He's not a real fighter. Well, oh, okay, well tell that to Sylvester Stallone, who has been slowly turning into the actually Rocky Balboa over the last 30 years. <laughs> I believe him to be real. Tyson, I want to see do it. And I do think Mike Tyson would have a psychological edge in this fight because Tyson Fury was literally named after Mike Tyson. Would he really want to beat his namesake? Kind of like an adopted parent he's never met before. So yeah, I I, I want to see it. I don't want to see headgear. I don't want to see big gloves. I want to see real gloves. I want to see a real fight. Charge $250 for it on pay-per-view. Jenna, by the way, will pay for it for all of us because I don't know if you guys noticed that little <laughs> under-the-radar pocket shaming. She has a New York City apartment so big, she can have couches six okay. feet apart. My oh. God. And <laughs> uh, state. So she'll buy it I for all something. of us, guys. Tyson, Tyson, let's go see it, Jenna. Uh, I want everybody to get along, but I would love to see these two boxes, and we'll leave it at that. A lot of people have two couches, Nick. Uh, on to some basketball now. Six Mixed feet with apart. A little bit of football. Yeah, Manhattan. <laughs> Clippers, <laughs> Clippers head coach Doc Rivers recently said LeBron James could have been, quote, the greatest football player ever. Take that, Mahomes. Nick, how confusing does that make your whole GOAT conversation now? <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, it doesn't make it confusing at all. But this is such a great preview of what's to come because time is a flat circle, as Russ Cole once said. And right now, we have a whole generation of people who's got their heads kicked in by Michael Jordan, who are out there like, he'd averaged 45 a game, could have made the Major League Baseball. He was the best coin tosser ever, aside from that security guard that beat him. And now we are in 10 years going to have a whole generation of people who got their heads kicked in by LeBron, who are like, he would have been the greatest handball player ever. Could have been the greatest football player ever. In any era, he would have been the greatest ever. I, Dwayne Casey, I talked to him the other night. He had LeBron and Jordan neck and neck. He coached against Jordan in the 96 finals with the Seahawks, with the so Supersonics, pardon me. But he had LeBron ruin his whole tenure in Toronto. So get ready for this, America. More of these LeBron as Paul Bunyan stories will be coming, just like we've gotten the Jordan as Paul Bunyan stories, Wilds. Oh, goodness. I don't I, I didn't. I'm sorry. I didn't even realize. Jen, I didn't even frame this as how difficult it would be for Nick. I think this is a silly statement from Doc Rivers. LeBron maybe is good. But then I also am a bigger fan of Iverson could have been the greatest football player ever or just a fantastic football player. But I don't know about LeBron being the greatest ever. Yeah, when I was the head coach of the Bronze, I offered to have LeBron come down and, and work at tight end. He, he declined at that point. But I think he, I think he would have been oh. pretty good, you know. I don't know if he would have been as good as as Michael Jordan if he decided to play football. But I think he would have <laughs> still been, he would have still been pretty good. Which, 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 yeah. um, you know, it's six eight. The guy's a force I don't even know what he weighs, but he's coach. athletic. Fantastic. Coach. I like the, it. Uh, oh, it's fantastic. Hey. Boom, zoom. It's hard, coach it's hard got not one to in there. He, he would be good. Uh. All right, let's end on some golf this morning. Mixed with a little bit of basketball. Also, that was fantastic. You got all that? So the match, the match charity golf event between Tiger, Phil, Peyton, and Brady will be aired on TNT, and it'll be uh, commentated by Sir Charles Barkley, which is an excuse for us to show this fantastic video, this horrible Chuck golfing footage again and again. How entertaining do you guys think this is going to be? Nick? 
Oh, I think it'll be great. And the only thing worse, and I love Chuck, and Chuck and I have a good relationship, but the only thing worse than Chuck's golf swing is his all-time NBA rankings, where I think he has LeBron number seven. But I love having Chuck involved in anything and everything. We don't have basketball right now. Get him involved in golf. He's probably going to gamble on this event, as I am. I'm excited to see it. Should be wonderful, and we could watch this video for the next 30 years. His swing will never change. It makes me nervous to watch that swing. It's exactly how I play golf. We got to go. We're back here tomorrow morning. Have a great day. Stay safe, everyone. See you then.